Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, supporting those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. I was planning on talking about the New Orleans Pelicans in this podcast even before the news came down that Zion Williamson will miss the rest of the season with a fracture in his ring finger. The outcry by GM David Griffin could be the subject of an entire episode, but I have other reasons to discuss the Pelicans at this juncture, so I'll just leave it at this. The idea that Zion is somehow being manhandled or suffering the physical abuse that Shaquille O'Neal did in his day, as Griffin suggested, is laughable. No one in today's game is suffering that kind of physicality. Today's game is so far removed from that era that to even suggest there is some remote connection is absurd. And by suggesting it, Griffin exposes that this is actually a cover. For what? I'm not sure. It could be for shutting down his franchise star again, even though he continued to play with the fracture and finished the game. Depending on where it is, it's possible Zion could finish out the season, even with a a hairline fracture. But at this point, why bother with a last-ditch effort to make a play-in game? Why not collect another lottery pick if you're the GM? Or... It could be cover for the fact the team's franchise star can't stay healthy and only has one way of scoring right now, and that's freight training his way to the rim, which would put at least some of the onus on Zion and the team's development of his skills. When it comes to physical punishment, though, from what I've seen, he gives as good as he gets. And in any case, a fracture in the ring finger of his shooting hand isn't evidence that he's being mauled. It's evidence that opponents are meeting him at the rim 
because they know that's where he's going to be. He's not going to pull up and shoot a mid-range jumper or step back and bank one off the glass or loft a floater. He's going to use his amazing lateral and vertical quickness along with amazing agility from a man his size and look to get a step on his defender and then attempt to embarrass the other two defenders who will meet him at the rim by putting the ball in off the glass around them or dunking it on them. Which, just FYI, is an easy way for someone as big as Zion, who dunks with as much force as he does, to fracture their ring finger. I may circle back to this subject at some point, but for now, I'm going to leave it at that. I'd rather talk about something I was asked the other day on Instagram, also involving the Pelicans. And that's why, despite having two all-star caliber players in Zion and Brandon Ingram, and a host of other quality young players, the Pelicans are once again headed toward a losing record and not making the post-in, postseason play-in game. Uh, on Instagram, I gave a short, quick, and relatively easy response because they're, oddly, they're an oddly built team for today's game and they don't have the ideal personnel for a defensive-minded coach like Stan Van Gundy. Essentially, playing two players in Steven Adams and Zion, who are in no way three-point threats, puts them at a huge disadvantage against most teams. They also don't have a lot of individually good defensive players, and Stan has not been able to make them into better ones. Zion is particularly bad, and Brandon Ingram is okay when he wants to be. Lonzo Ball, far and away their best defender, followed by Adams. Eric Bledsoe can be good, but I haven't noticed him exactly locking people up since he left Milwaukee. It was suggested that I do a podcast exploring the subject a little more. And in doing some research for that very idea, I discovered a bunch of other noteworthy markers when it comes to shooting and defending the three that explains why certain teams have been so surprisingly good this season and why others have struggled and maybe what to keep an eye out for in the postseason. So, in short, if this was all about the Pelicans and why they're not very good, I don't know that that would carry a whole podcast. But why they're not very good also lends itself to why a lot of other teams are, either surprisingly or disappointingly, are not. And I think it's fair to say, Pelicans a case could be made, are the most disappointing team of the season. Now, I expected the Bulls to make at least the play-in games in the East, and it doesn't appear that they're going to do that. But that could very well just be me, that I had a higher uh, opinion of the Bulls than uh, most others did. Uh, I'm not hearing too many others blast the Bulls for where they find themselves. Nobody's blasting the Pelicans either, actually, which I find curious. But much like my belief in why my media brethren aren't talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo for MVP, I suspect it's because they don't want to admit they were wrong in anointing Zion as the next LeBron or thinking that Brandon Ingram is anything more than an above-average scorer or lauding David Griffin as a savant GM or Stan as the perfect coach to get to the, the Pelicans to ratchet up their execution and discipline. All of these things have been put out there uh, by other members of the media. And again, 
I didn't do any of those things. So I don't have a problem pointing out why the Pelicans aren't very good. Why Zion is not everything that he's made out to be. But everything really boils down to this. The Pelicans are neither good nor prolific at shooting threes. And they are particularly bad at both allowing opponents to shoot threes and make a high percentage of them. On offense, the Pels are 26th in three-point field goal percentage, 25th in attempts, and 27th in makes per game. Their opponents, meanwhile, shoot the fourth highest percentage for threes, and the Pels are fourth in three-pointers allowed and second in the number that opponents make. In simpler terms, they average 10.7 threes a game. They give up an average of 14.6 threes a game. That means in that category alone, they are at a 12-point disadvantage every damn game. That's a lot to overcome. Now, none of that is all that surprising when two of your starters are Adams and Zion, neither of whom shoots the three, nor is comfortable stepping out and defending someone at the three-point line. Neither of them is much of a rim protector either, as far as blocked shots, but the case could be made that Adam's presence discourages a lot of shots from being taken around the rim. Zion just looks lost most of the time on defense. And by the way, with all this criticism, I love the kid. I love his attitude. I love his natural ability. I think he has a chance to be a really special player. But his game is very, very limited. It's actually amazing that he does what he does considering that he's pretty much a one-trick pony. And I'm sorry, I just can't look past what a a zero he is on defense. I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth does not rebound well at the defensive end, does not box out most of the time, although that's a lost art in the game today. And, you know, he'll take a stab at the ball. He, he, he gambles a lot. A lot of defensive issues, which is why for all of his greatness and all of his potential, naming him an all-star already just seems outrageous to me. Anyway. What I found interesting is what the three-point statistics tell us about the high-profile teams, teams with some of the best records in the league. The Jazz, for instance, are not just first in three-pointers made per game at 16.9, but are first in three-pointers allowed, holding every team they play to the Pelicans' average of 10.7. That means fewest three-pointers allowed an advantage they have an advantage of six threes every night on average i mean no wonder they currently have the best record and far away far and away the greatest point differential at plus nine and a half now take this for what it's worth the suns who are breathing down utah's neck for best record as i record this are not as dependent on three-point disparity They only make 13 a game, and they allow just under 12 on average. That's pretty balanced. Several other top teams are not at all balanced 
between their ability to make the three and defend it, with the Sixers and Lakers two prime examples. Both, in short, are good at defending the three or limiting the number of threes taken, but not in taking or making them. The Lakers are third in fewest threes allowed per game, just under 12. But they are 25th in the league in making threes themselves at just over 11. If a game comes down to threes, the Lakers are working at a deficit. Sixers are in a very similar boat. They only give up 12 threes a game. That's ninth best in the league and ties them with the Knicks. But they also only make 11, which puts them down with the Lakers in Pelicans territory. I could go through every top team this way, but you get the point. How well teams are shooting and defending the three and the disparity between their ability to do those two things has been a big determining factor in their success this season. So there are two ways that this can go in the postseason. Either it holds serve, in which case... The Utah Jazz, Los Angeles Clippers, Portland Trailblazers are all going to have a significant advantage or the impact of the three-point shot is reduced and teams like the Lakers, Sixers, and Phoenix Suns have an advantage because they've been successful without relying on three-pointers to provide a cushion all season. I'm not going to guess which way it's going to go. I would expect there will be fewer threes taken uh, in the playoffs simply because teams just naturally become more conservative, more worried about long rebounds turning into fast breaks the other way, uh, better execution in general. Uh, there's just, there's always a reduction. And there's just something, you know, launching from 40 feet during a regular season game is a lot different than when you're playing for your ability to stay alive in the playoffs. It's a little harder to just jack it up on the run the way you can in the regular season. So, uh, you know, and whether or not teams continue to shoot it well will come down to how well the individual players deal with the added pressure of the playoffs, which will be fun to find out. Or maybe agonizing depending on who your team is just remember clippers fans your team has 11 players shooting 40 percent or better from three paul george isn't the only one in fact his 42 percent right now is actually eighth best on the team so even if he starts denting the side of the backboard again in the postseason the Clippers have an array of other marksmen from long range if it comes down to threes being a deciding factor. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. I will be back Monday with a look at where the playoff picture is with what will be less than a half dozen games to go. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your pods. Uh, please leave a comment. Uh, as I've said many a time, uh, the number of reviews and the ratings are, and they impact 
uh, our standing overall as a pod and uh, and with our sponsors. Sponsors like to know that uh, the listeners are engaged. So thank you for me for doing that. And in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.